0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis on Monday, the 24th of July. A warm welcome to Money Talk at the start of an important week of central bank meetings. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we're one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong and Singapore. We're also on Google Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for Peter Lewis's Money Talk. You'll also find the program on Substack, Facebook, Instagram and Threads. Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China has outlined a series of measures to increase car purchases, particularly for new energy vehicles, to lift growth in the mainland's faltering economy. The National Development and Reform Commission, which is China's main economic planning body, set out 10 steps, including lower costs for electric vehicle charging and extending tax breaks, although it didn't disclose specific figures. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said in a speech in Hanoi on Friday that the United States sees Vietnam as a key partner in expanding green energy sources and building more resilient supply chains. Ms. Yellen's visit was part of a push by the United States to upgrade its formal ties with Vietnam as it works to reduce dependency on Chinese supply chains by expanding manufacturing at home and boosting trade with trusted partners. Seven leading companies in artificial intelligence have committed to managing risks posed by the new technology, the White House said Friday. Representatives from Amazon, Anthropic, Google, Inflection, Meta, Microsoft and OpenAI joined US President Joe Biden to make the announcement and to help move towards safe, secure and transparent development of AI technology. The Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan hold key monetary policy meetings this week. The Fed and the ECB are expected to raise interest rates by 25 basis points, while the Bank of Japan is expected to leave its ultra-loose interest rates unchanged and not make any tweaks to its yield curve control policy, despite headline consumer inflation in Japan hitting 3.3% in June. That's higher than U.S. inflation. Traders will be looking for clues from all three central banks as to the outlook for interest rates over the rest of this year. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management and Louis Kois, Chief Asia Economist at s and Global Ratings and providing a view from mainland China, will be Ben Carinder, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. <laughs> US stocks were mixed on Friday following a steep drop in large cap technology stocks in the previous session. The S&P 500 rose less than 0.1% to 4,536, led by defensive sectors such as healthcare, consumer staples and utilities. It advanced 0.7% across the five sessions, its second straight week of gains. The Dow managed to just hold on to its gains Friday, rising three points to 35,228. The Dow is up 10 days in a row. That's its longest winning streak since February 2017. Over the five sessions, the Dow rose 2.1%, its best week, in four months. The Nasdaq Composite lost 0.2% on the day to 14,033 and was 0.6% lower for the week. Technology stocks sold off sharply last week after Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company, the world's biggest contract chip maker, warned of a deepening semiconductor downturn. The tech sector is going to remain in focus this week, with Alphabet, Amazon, Meta and Microsoft due to report quarterly results. The dollar bounced back to record its best weekly gain since early February. The US dollar index added a third of a percent Friday against a basket of six currencies to reach its highest point in more than a week. It rose 1.1% over the week, regaining the 100 level. The Japanese yen slid against the dollar after dovish Bank of Japan sources signalled little prospect of a change to the yield curve control policy at this week's monetary policy meeting. Over the week, the US dollar rebounded 2.2% to 141.79 Japanese yen. The Chinese yuan fell 0.6% over the week after Chinese second quarter GDP disappointed on the downside and sparked a string of downgrades to 2023 growth forecasts. Benchmark indices in Hong Kong and mainland China were mixed, with consumer-related stocks the best performers, after the Chinese government's release of measures to support consumption, including on home appliances and car purchases. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index climbed 147 points, or 0.8% to close at 19,075. However, for the week, it was down 1.7%. The tech index rose 1% Friday, reducing its weekly loss to 2.9%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index dropped 0.1% to 3,168. It was down 2.2% for the week. And this morning at the open, futures markets are pointing to a fall of around 130 points for the Hang Seng. That's 0.7%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also joining us, Louis Cois, who is Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. Morning to you, Louis. Morning, Peter. The Federal Reserve, European Central Bank and Bank of Japan hold key monetary policies this week. Traders expect the US Central Bank to raise the benchmark federal funds rate by 25 basis points. That brings it to a target range between five and a quarter and 5.5%. And That's the highest since 2008. 2001? and traders will be looking for clues as to whether this is the final hike of the cycle. Continued solid job gains, with the unemployment rate near a historic low at 3.6%, combined with a greater than expected drop in consumer prices, have shifted some economists to a more favourable view. A majority of economists are predicting an end to a 16-month hiking cycle that's been the most aggressive fight against US inflation in 40 years. Louis, can I start with you? Are you one of those um, optimistic economists now about, about the US? Well, we've had some good news
1: in the U.S. on two fronts. Uh, there seems to have been some progress, at least in terms of the headline data on inflation. And almost as importantly, there is now at least a path it, uh, people still consider it narrow, but there is a possibility that the U.S. is able to bring inflation down without causing a recession, without causing a contraction of uh, of, of output. That would be quite a feat to put off. It is still very far from certain, but I think that's what has kept markets uh, quite quite enthusiastic recently. We are still a bit cautious, quite cautious, um, looking at. Core inflation, the picture is not as rosy as it is in terms of headline inflation, because much of the falls have been because of energy price falls. Um, We think that we are basically much less uh, bullish than the market about how fast interest rates can come down. You know, will they peak at? uh, Will they? You know, will they peak after the next rise, or will there be one more rise? That is one question. But I think the markets are pricing in quite quick and sharp falls after that, which we don't really see Mm -hmm. the room for.
0: It it seems that, you know, you almost have to ask the question, why should the Fed stop when inflation is still above its target and the economy is still motoring along very nicely and, um, and, and the jobs market is still very tight? Exactly. Alex, what do you think? Do you think the Fed has done it? Has it it achieved now this proverbial soft landing that everyone is talking about, slowing the economy enough to get inflation down to 2% but without causing a recession?
2: I think uh, the price level actually probably would peak uh, because of the uh, weakness in energies and also use the car. So I think uh, those factors which are limiting the overall price level. But but uh, a new risk is that uh, we may see uh, food prices coming up because of the yeah. uh, disruption in the supply chain in in certain commodities, so there's a risk right now. Uh, but an- anyway, I think uh, the market is quite uh, optimistic about the picking of the interest rate. But I think, uh, as Louis pointed out, uh, the, the 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 interest may not come down that soon. Yeah. And
0: that's the key thing, isn't it? That there could be some shocks. We've got uh, uh, India banning rice exports. You mentioned wheat because of um, Ukraine, um, and there are other potential things in the pipeline that that could cause um, sort of inflation to suddenly tick up again.
2: Yeah, that's a uh, that could be a surprise factor. But the good thing is that the spike up actually it do not last longer right now. So uh, hopefully that would still be contained because uh, overall the global economy is slowing down. But uh, that would be a, a key area to watch because uh, that probably may, uh, spark the uh, fear in inflation again.
0: Louis, the, the Fed's got inflation down to three percent now from um, you know qu- quite high levels. Is this next bit to get it down to two percent? Is that going to be the hard bit? Where because you know a lot of the re- inflation now is in the services sector, where wages are a bigger sh- share of the cost of running a business. That presumably is going to be harder to get down, isn't it? Of course it is. You know um, what we've the,
1: the, the fall that we've had so far was really the easy part because it came because of those energy and and other commodity prices. What is the big question is can we see moderation in wage growth, moderation in like pass through. By companies of of price increases so that core inflation can come down. Because core inflation, unfortunately, is still, if you look at it sequentially, where are we compared to three months ago, then core inflation is still trending at about 5%. Mm -hmm. And that is the big question. How much more pain does the economy need to incur before we can get core inflation down?
0: Well, I suppose the big question is what happens next. Everyone knows or is expecting this quarter-point rate hike at this meeting, but what comes next, and I suppose a lot of this depends upon um, how wedded the Fed is to its 2% inflation target and, and how much inflation um, it's prepared to accept.
1: Yeah, I was fortunate to attend a, uh, uh, a talk by an ex-Fed Uh, an an uh, ex-senior Fed official, I think it was only last week, and I asked that question about the possibility of the Fed at some point changing uh, the target and he thought it was conceivable not soon he, they would want to bring it down to something below three but will they really be able and willing to bring it down to two if that turns out to be costly in, at the, in the short term that that is I think still a question outstanding at the moment it seems central bankers, not just in the US, but also in Europe and, uh, and, and other places, seem to be quite committed to bringing inflation down. But once the economies really start to cool, how much willingness will remain? That's the question.
0: Alex, there seems to be two schools of thought on this. There's one that says the US should live with higher inflation, maybe around 3%, because it's not worth putting the, the economy into recession to try and get it down lower. Uh, People like Mohammed El-Aryan are in that camp. But then you've got other people like former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers saying that if you settle for a lower goal now, it's a bad idea because that that then becomes baked in and it sort of becomes the floor, a new floor for inflation. What do you think? Where do you fall on this?
2: I think uh, probably we need to live with this, but um, uh, probably the slowdown in China would help because China probably would, would, would be in the deflation and also would come would, would, would bring their whole prices level down uh, in certain commodities. So that would help. So I think uh, probably uh they they should go with the um high inflation probably because um there's a risk that uh, uh, you put into recessions and then the economy can be able to come back. So I think uh, uh, live with a higher level and, and, risk, uh, and risk for um, the efficient factor to come, come, come in, like uh, the slowing down in the China economy and also the development of uh, technologies. So you're in the Mohammed el Aryan camp, yeah, right. which says live with higher inflation. What do
0: you think, Louis?
1: I'm afraid I'm in the other camp. Oh, right, so, you're in the so, Louis so, Summers camp. So, you know, so the ex senior official that whose talk I uh, attended was Richard, Richard Clarida, oh, and yeah. he made the good point that look do you if you ever want to change your target you don't want to do that just after you've made big mistakes and let inflation rise too much you will lose so much of your credibility even even further after mm-hmm. after the losses of credibility that they've already suffered so it would be a big mistake in history, and i'm i would be in that school like you, it's better to pay a little bit of short-term pain for that you know attainment of long-term credibility
0: So you're saying that this will be a bad idea and it sets the stage for even stronger price growth in the next sort of economic cycle, if you like. Yeah, because, you know, at the moment policymakers are
1: extremely lucky in the sense that for some reason people's people's inflation expectations are still quite modest but that is something that has been that's a result of of battles in the past but that can you can lose that and once mm-hmm. people raise their inflation expectations it's going to be incredibly
0: painful to bring that down again Do do you think that's a risk, Alex? Uh, I know you're in the other camp, but Mm. if inflation will start to get embedded in people's minds, they will sort of, you know, they will expect higher wages, they expect higher inflation, and then that really becomes a new floor, if you like, for inflation.
2: Well, I think uh, there's many deflationary forces uh, in in, in the world. Uh, So, uh, like technology development and the lower consumption demand, actually, for for real things, I think. So, and also the slowdown in China and probably so that would help to cap the inflation. So I think uh, that's why I would uh, be in the other camp.
0: Now, Louis, that's an interesting point, isn't it? China, is, well, inflation is zero there on the consumer price. It's in deflation on the producer price front, close to slipping into deflation. Is that going to be a factor that China sort of uh, exports its deflation around the world? I'm afraid I don't see that. You know, um, it's not
1: just Chinese Prices of manufactured products that are very low at the moment. If you look at the whole global trade cycle, if you look at South Korea's export prices, they're falling by 15% even in warm terms. So we have tradable goods prices are falling at a rapid rate. That is not doing much for a service sector economy like the US or Australia, where we have that internal dynamics where wages are increasing, firms are are passing on cost increases, the labour market is strong. So it's. I I think it's the domestic internal dynamics that matter
0: over here. Okay. Well, let's turn our attention to the European Central Bank. Alex, the ECB expected to raise rates by twenty-five basis points to three and three-quarter percent. What do you think the situation is in Europe? They're in a tougher spot than the uh, the Fed, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they will be in a tougher spot, of course. Yeah, because uh, the U.S. economy much more resilient, and U.S. is much more um, dependent on certain sectors. So I think. Uh, that would be a a more um, vulnerable situation in Europe. What do you think,
0: uh, Louis, there um, there, that you've got some of the European economies in recession already um, there, and at the same time, inflation is still quite sticky at the core level?
1: Yeah, I agree with Alex that they're in a tougher situation. But I think one reason why they're in a tougher situation is that the ECB is not supposed to care about the economy, about the strength of the economy. They only have their mandate is about making sure inflation is at a certain target. So, um, it's, it's interesting that nonetheless, some, especially some of the hawks. Uh, like the, like the Dutch uh, uh, central bank governor. So it's, it's surprising that some of the hawks have become a little bit more, mm. more dovish, and I wonder if that is because they see uh, significant slowdowns in the pipeline and, 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 mm. and, and downward pressure. Because if you look again, if you look at core inflation in Europe, it doesn't look that benign either. Core inflation is hardly coming down.
0: And it's the same thing here. We're waiting to see what Christine Lagarde says about the outlook going forward, particularly that she's now got some, so as you say, some hawks uh, turning quite dovish on the, uh, on the fact that it might be doing damage to the economy.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Alex, the other thing we, I suppose we have to take into account is that the central banks are all going through this process of quantitative tightening, aren't they? They're selling okay. off um, bonds from their balance sheet, but particularly the ECB. They're, they're sort of becoming a bit more aggressive on it. Is that something that we need to sort of take into account? Is that something that also is going to help bring down
2: inflation? Yeah, that should help. But uh, the market actually is just uh, ignore that uh, Q T right now. So uh, and we are still also seeing uh, inflationary pressures and also a uh, rising asset prices. Mm-hmm. So the Q T actually does not uh, have too much impact in the market and 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 the world right now.
0: And we've also got a very strong euro, it's a, what, a 17-month high against the, uh, against the dollar, I think it's a sort of three-year high against the Chinese yuan. It's looking very overvalued, isn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, the interest differential actually is uh, helping, I think. I think people expect uh, the, uh, uh, the, the RMB to remain weak because of the, um, uh, the lower interest rate expectation. And and that I think uh, probably would continue to support the, uh, the, the 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 euro against the 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 yen. And for U.S. dollar, I think it is uh, also um, the expectation of the picking of the interest rate soon.
0: Louis, mm. let's switch to the Bank of Japan. This is the interesting one, isn't it? Really, out of the uh, out of the three, um, inflation in Japan. Uh, It's above 3%. It's above uh, U.S. inflation now for the first time um, in eight years. Core, core inflation uh, is above 4%. That excludes uh, food and energy um, prices. Really, the Bank of Japan, you would think, ought to be doing something, but they seem to be knocking it on the head every time someone from the, the Bank of Japan speaks.
1: Well, you know, they're pretty clear about what they view as the conditions for them to start tightening significantly, and that is that they want to make sure that inflation will rise sustainably. So not just that we we all see inflation is going up, but they want to see their forecasts for inflation in the coming years uh, reach around 2%, hopefully even a bit higher, because they're very worried that... What the, what what they're what they're worried about is that they start to raise interest rates, inflation falls back, nominal growth will be very low again, and the the government is uh, is faced with tremendous uh, interest rate costs. So they I can kind of understand why the, the bar for them is quite high. But in, but I do think indeed we are getting closer to that
0: point. Aren't they um, at risk of looking as silly as the Fed did 15 months ago when the same thing happened, didn't they? Inflation started to pick up, but the Fed said we wanted to see if this is sustainable um this is and they were saying at the time this was transitory and in hindsight ended up looking very stupid um is the bank of japan now making exactly the same mistake
1: you know i think they are at a risk of that but i think governor ueda is a quite uh, capable competent person He 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 knows that there is this risk but he he he's, he says the risk
0: of moving too soon
1: is is larger than the risk of moving too late. And yeah, that's a bit where we are. at the Yeah,
0: moment. but you have to sort of also question maybe the Bank of Japan's forecast. They're, they're forecasting 1.8% inflation for this year, where it's been above 2% for 15 months now. You sort of think that maybe their forecasts are behind the curve. You know, I think
1: I've been focused uh, for for a year now on the labor market because that's where the answer will have to be. Are we going to see wage growth rising sustainably? If so, then they will have to start moving. That's also what they focus on a lot. And so we have seen that the spring round of wage negotiations in larger companies that has yielded quite significant wage growth of more than three percent the big question is all these smaller companies in, in the domestic economy will they follow
0: that mm-hmm. Alex what, what do you think do you think the Bank of Japan is making a big mistake here core core inflation which excludes food and energy 4.2 percent in June that's the high since 1981 but yet the Bank of Japan has this ultra loose monetary policy I think they
2: may. I think that uh, the risk actually is quite high because uh, Japan actually has raised prices for for quite some time, and uh, the, the, so the the magnitude of the, this current rate, the 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 price hike actually is quite huge, and the, also the wage rise is uh, is a more, more, more uh, much more bigger than the other parts of the world. So I think there is a risk.
0: So what is the Bank of Japan going to have to do? Is it going to have to adjust its yield curve control policy? Although it's saying it's not going to change it until it sees sustainable inflation, do you think it's going to be forced into the position where this year
2: it will have to change? Uh, Right now, I think the market expects them to to continue the current policy. So I think uh, they probably would still stick to this. So uh, they don't want to disrupt the market too much, I think.
0: So no change uh, this year?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because uh, uh, I think uh, the current situation actually um, is an adjustment of the um, it, uh, of, this, of, of, of the past decades in Japan. So I think uh, they probably would uh, tolerate that. So if they did trigger a surprise um, and, and actually
0: change the, the yield curve policy uh, before the end of the year, what would that mean for the markets?
2: Would, are they prepared for that? I don't think the market prepared for that. I think we could see a very, very sharp correction in the Nikkei. In the and, right. and also a very sharp correction in the in the dollar yen rate,
0: because at the moment, if they carry on with the current policy, the yen is just going to get weaker and weaker,
2: isn't it? Yeah, right. Because if you look at the, the reaction on Friday, actually, is by up a quite, quite the, the dollar yen rate actually uh, spy up very fast. So I think uh, uh, if if anything uh, surprised the market, then probably we will see a very huge correction.
0: Mm. I mean, Louis, Louis what, what about the Bank of Japan's bond purchases? I mean, to try and maintain this uh, policy, uh, they've bought a huge amount of uh, amount of bonds which are sitting on their balance sheet. It owns more, owns more than half of the, the bond market. I think it's about 16% of Japanese GDP now. Is that sustainable?
1: So it is and it's not. It It is in the sense that, uh, you know, there was a time late last year where, The markets were really starting to feel uncomfortable with the the positions of the Bank of Japan, but also with where interest rates were moving at the moment. Market seems to be okay. I mean, and I, I know from a, from the kind of perspective of a few decades ago, what has happened with central bank balance sheets seems pretty insane. But they've gotten away with it so far, not just in Japan, but also in in Europe, where they are buying all kinds of products as well, and and of course in uh, in the US too. So, you know, it's it sustainable
0: uh, at least f- for for a bit more? Okay, let's switch to China. Um, Alex, we've had another Mm. um, step now to try and boost uh, consumer spending. Um, China's outlined a series of measures to increase car purchases, particularly for new energy vehicles. The National uh, Development and Reform Commission has set out 10 steps that includes lower costs for electric vehicle charging and extending tax breaks and so on. Uh, We had last week, didn't we, we had this policy to try and boost domestic consumption through spending on household goods and appliances. That was, I think, an 11-step uh, plan from the the Commerce Department. Then we also had uh, the plan to treat private companies as well as uh, state-owned enterprises. Are you convinced by all these multi-step measures that are being announced at the moment?
2: I think uh, I, I'm uh, actually, I'm bit convinced that uh, uh, the, the, the Chinese equities will be pay, pay rebound soon, I think. Uh, at least uh, the authorities are uh, going into the right direction to try to boost the try- perfect enterprises uh, sector. Uh, but the point is, I think uh, we, in, investors actually would not be too convinced uh, right now because uh, of the experience over the past few years. And currently, we have um, another mess in the uh, uh, bond market. Mm. Uh, in 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 the public sector, and also um, the um, expected uh, disposal of uh, Tencent by poses actually also limited the the the, the, the amenity of the rebound right now, so uh, that would take some time I think. But uh, the direction is right, and uh, and so but but I think the the market um, would not be interested in the old economy part of China because of the mess in the public market and also and so the financial market the financial sector actually would not uh, rebound much as well, so I think uh, banks and property would still be underperforming. Uh, but uh, the interest I think uh, would be um, in the uh, internet sector because of the change in the attitude towards the uh, this sector by the authorities. so uh probably there would be some chance of a uh, bigger rebound uh happening in the uh, internet sectors. So
0: this is an important change, I think, from what you've been saying in previous weeks, where you've been quite bearish on Chinese stocks. And rightly, you've advised investors to stay away and to wait. And one of the signs you wanted to see you, I remember you saying, was an improvement in the government's attitude towards private uh, enterprises. You you seem to be saying now that you're
2: seeing that now, and therefore this is the time to go back. I think there are some some green suits, Uh, but it's not bad bad, bad, bad because I think the market is is is, is it's difficult to be convicted because of the past experience because you have um, a a sharp decline in the education sector that just happened overnight. So people are still scared of that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So they would be very prudent and and may not be uh, that easy to buy in. But I think the overall exposure by foreign investors actually is quite low right now. And then uh, the private sector actually uh, uh, probably would would, would be needed to to push the uh, to boost the economy I think that the offer now understand that you cannot depend on the SOEs because they probably uh, do not have that entrep- entrepreneurship and also they do not have that kind of know-how to to boost the economy and and the old economy parks actually would would, would be just a mess because uh, of the uh, uh, over life situation in the past so they they knew uh, that uh, they if they want to improve the economy they need the private sectors in the internet sector to 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 be a big part. So I think uh, that is a key change right now.
0: Do you worry though that so far we we're seeing a lot of words but not a lot of action?
2: Yeah, I think uh, 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 they they do not have that kind of uh, conviction right now uh, from from even from those uh, I think executives at at the big internet sector companies because uh, they have been. Uh, heard in the past so they probably would be a little bit hesitant uh, to participate uh, actively but I think they will take some time and and because of the valuation is so low so there's uh, some some value in the sector right now so I think uh, uh, there's a uh, probably the, the rebound may not be very soon but I think uh, this is a uh, worth a try
0: Okay. I mean, Louis, if you look at all these measures, clearly what the, the government's trying to do is to get consumers to spend more and to get private companies to invest more to, to go and boost the economy. None of the things, though, that I've seen so far actually put any more money, though, in people's pockets, do they, to, to actually allow them to go out and spend more. So isn't it the same problem as what we've been seeing for the last few months? It's, it's a matter of confidence. Consumers have actually got savings, Uh, they just don't want to go out and spend them.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we've had a lot of measures being announced in the last uh, 10 days or so, but as you say, it's clear the government doesn't want to spend any of its own money on this. There's no fiscal uh, expansion, although on the fiscal expansion, it's actually going to be interesting because one thing that has happened and that has been underappreciated by the market, I think, is that there has been an accidental fiscal tightening in the second uh, uh, quarter of this year like in the first pretty much first half of it, especially in the second quarter and that's going to turn around so we're going to have uh, some fiscal loosening in the second half of the year compared to the first half kind of accidental in the back
0: how, how's that come about you say an accidental fiscal tightening how, how how has that come about it's come
1: about by a lot of uh, control uh, still being imposed on the expenditures of local governments, mm-hmm. of all kinds of uh, uh, parts of the, of the government and then tax revenues not being as bad as the government uh, expected so there yeah it's it's a little bit like an, and also you know they've been quite frugal in terms of the bond issuance mm-hmm. so, yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's these things so but so apart from that no no kind of uh, attention grabbing measures to boost consumption right there and the there are no uh, there is no obvious fiscal support for consumption and also there haven't been any announcements in terms of structural reforms to make people feel more comfortable about say uh, will you know who is going to pay when, when i get uh, when i get laid off or when i uh, have a health issue. In, so the, the structural factors that are weighing on people's reluctance to 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 spend, I think, have not really changed either. So I'm not sure that you can expect an awful lot from what has been announced.
0: Well, we've seen a lot of um, investment banks downgrade their forecasts for, for China's economy since we saw the GDP uh, numbers. It looks like now that the, the government's target of 5%, which was sort of seen as a flaw by investment banks. that's now seems to have become the ceiling. 5% seems to be almost the maximum that they think can be made. What, what's your uh, sort of thoughts on, on the Chinese economy?
1: Well, we've, we forecast 5.2, and we're okay with that. We we, we, we put that for, we reduced our forecast a, few, a month ago, and so I think we're still okay with 5.2. But, yes, it's, uh, that, that 5% is going to end up being more challenging than mm-hmm. people had expected.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, uh, it, it seems to be that, you know, the, the government seems to be sticking with that forecast, but uh, a lot of people seem to be saying, you know, that's about the maximum that I think can be achieved uh, this year.
1: Yeah, I think that's a little exaggerated. I mean, like, um, if if they get growth going to some extent, then the five percent should
0: still be easy. But yeah, that, it, it's true that there are risks uh, both ways. Well, thank you both very much. Very interesting discussion there, and uh, sort of interesting points on on both sides of the uh, of the debate. You heard there, Louis Cois, who's chief Asia economist at S and P Global Ratings. And our regular Monday commentator, Alex Wong, who is director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. I'm joined now by Ben Cavender, who is managing director of the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. Morning, Ben. Good morning. Now, we've seen a lot of um, plans come out of Beijing over the past week or so to try and uh, support uh, the uh, private, uh, private economy. We had this uh, uh, to support the Chinese economy. We had this plan to treat private companies uh, the same as uh, state-owned enterprises. Uh, that was a 31-point um, action plan designed to improve the business environment for private companies. Then we also had prior to that this 11-point plan to boost domestic consumption Consumption of household consumer goods and services. And then on Friday, another uh plan. I've forgotten how many steps. I think it was a 10-step plan to go and get people to buy more cars. Yes, indeed, it was 10 steps. Um a lot of plans um out there. Do you think they're gonna be effective?
3: Uh you know, it's it's a lot of writing of policy papers, which, you know, if you read the headline, sounds great. Sounds like they're here to support private enterprise, but I think when you kind of look deeper at the plans. There really isn't a tremendous amount of substance there in terms of how they're actually going to get a consumer to want to go out and buy something or how they're going to actually make uh, the owner of a private business feel comfortable that they're going to be supported over the longer term. So I think the sense I get when we interview consumers here is there's still quite a bit of concern about the economy. People are worried about job creation. They're worried about real estate. They're worried about their savings. And then when you talk to entrepreneurs, um, you have a lot of people that are sort of – parroting the vocabulary used by the party and saying, oh, this is great. But when you sort of talk to them behind closed doors, the response is pretty tepid. I think they really aren't feeling like this is enough to make them want to invest right now. And
0: is that because, you know, the moment really is words, isn't it? Where There's not a lot of action. Are, are they waiting to see some positive action? Would that make them change their minds?
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely an element of wait and see. They want to see how these big policy directives trickle down to the provincial level or to the city level and what that means in practical terms. You know, when they look at where their company is registered and they go to apply for a loan or they apply for special privileges or they get a tax break, how does that actually end up getting implemented? implemented or is it just them doing a lot of paperwork but nothing ever Mm. happens i think that's where the concern lies right now
0: and i suppose for consumers none of this actually puts any extra money into their pocket does it so it doesn't get over the fact that actually consumers do have savings to spend it's just a a confidence issue that they don't want to spend at the moment and unless you give them more money that they're probably not going to are they
3: no, they're 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 really not. I mean, I think you when you look at some of the wealthier consumers, the middle class and upper middle class, there is still some spending happening, but it's really really focused on sort of quality of life and experiences and things that kind of kind of make them feel better. But getting somebody to go out and make a big ticket purchase or or go out and you know just buy more things is really difficult right now. People just don't see the benefit to that, and they're still so worried about uh you know how their savings have been depleted through COVID and you know, what the job market is like. So it's until there's more direct stimulus coming in, I think it's very difficult to get consumers
0: So what is it going to take then? What what has the government's got to do that's that's actually going to make a difference that is going to boost uh, the, the economy and boost the recovery?
3: You know, frankly speaking, I think they're in they're in a little bit of a trap right now. I don't think there really is an easy fix. I mean the typical levers they would rely on just aren't going to get them there right now so the infrastructure spending isn't going to do it they can't really rely on manufacturing bouncing back right now just given the overall weakness of the global economy uh so it really is going to be what can they do to make the consumer feel better and that's probably going to have to be some combination of you know maybe fairly extreme tax breaks to consumers so they actually have more money in their pocket or um some serious work to inject direct stimulus so you know spending vouchers, things like that, to kind of get people out the door and into malls and actually buying something. But I, I think it's very difficult to implement on any kind of broad scale. So I'm, I'm really not convinced that too much is going to change until people are looking around and they're starting to see hiring pick up and they're starting to see that you know maybe their small business or their friend's small business is doing better. That's going to be the turnaround. So I think it really is actually You know, this 31-point plan, the 10-point plan, the 11-point plan, all these points, like when do they start actually getting implemented? And then what's the outcome of that?
0: Mm. The the Chinese government, unlike uh, its Western counterparts, has always seemed to be reluctant, hasn't it, to to put money into consumers' pockets. It hasn't done either what we've done here in Hong Kong with consumption vouchers or what they've done with sort of fiscal spending in the U.S. and and Europe. It just doesn't seem to want to, to, to do it.
3: Yeah, it's sort of contrary to their policy. I mean, they're very much about sort of investing in structure and sort of hoping that things kind of trickle down ultimately to the consumer. I mean, the thing, though, is that right now China with very low inflation or in some cases this deflationary environment, they might be the only economy in the world where you could actually do that kind of stimulus and not have it have a a horribly negative impact on the economy, like you know, what the what the US has kind of had to deal with and other countries have had to deal with. So they might want to look at it, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think the likelihood of it happening on any kind of national level is probably pretty slim.
0: Can the government afford it? Is is that part of the issue? Because you know, there's a lot of debt around now, isn't there?
3: Yeah, and, and that's a I mean, it's a it's a it's a tricky situation, right? Because on the one hand they can't afford it. There is quite a bit of debt floating around that they've, you know, really been trying quite persistently to do away with on the other hand if they don't do something and the economy slows down further the outcome of that might be something that they can afford even less so it's a it's a it's a tough uh, storm to navigate
0: so what does it mean for for china's recovery because the the quarterly growth rate was only uh 0.8 percent so that was much lower than what we saw in the first quarter when it was 2.2 percent it looks like the recovery is going from bad to worse
3: yeah, my my sense, honestly, is that 2023, you know, they may have a lot of trouble getting the kind of bounce back that they were hoping for. And that might be, in, in, in some sense, a little bit of a lost year. I think there's there's you know one other thing that you know I didn't mention, which could help the economy going into 2024, which is if they can solve some of the uh, political friction and trade friction they have with the U.S. and some other countries and make it very, very clear that. FDI is wanted and that international companies will be supported, you could see a pretty big bounce back in investment coming from outside in 2024. But that's that's a lot of ifs that have to happen the right way for, for companies to be willing to reinvest. But that would be the thing that I think ultimately could help turn the corner.
0: There was this meeting, wasn't there, in Beijing on Friday uh, where the regulators have called in the heads of some large uh, foreign investors to ask them uh, what needs to be done to basically uh, boost the markets, boost the economy, to get them to come back investing, because foreign investors have, have really pulled out of, of, of China, haven't they? What do you think they would want to hear that would get them uh, to encourage them to come back?
3: I, I think you know they, they want stability. They want to know there's a level playing field. They want to know that if they're coming here, especially with investment into high tech, which is you know really where a lot of the investment is right now, that there's going to actually be room in China for the businesses in which they invest to grow and be successful here. I think that's sort of been the persistent refrain recently is that you know we can invest in China and there's a big market there, but ultimately, Uh, There's going to be too much state support for SOEs or local startups that are playing in these key industries where China wants to sort of win and and really be the leader. And so if I'm thinking about where I invest, I'm just not going to put that money in China. I think that's the refrain right now. Hmm. And so uh, there have to be assurances around that.
0: And what about domestic investors? We know that f- foreign investors are underweight, the Chinese markets. What are domestic investors' feelings towards their own market? Because it hasn't been a great performer this year, has it? In fact, it's been one of the world's right. worst.
3: It, it hasn't been a great performer this year, and it hasn't really, frankly, been a great performer over the last 10 years. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think you look at the markets, and it's, it's very difficult to get um, domestic investors excited because I think from their perspective – the market still really is not t- behaving in a totally rational way because there's too much intervention in terms of what can or cannot happen in specific industries at any given time or on any given day, and so I think it just it makes investment strategy quite difficult. And I think then, ad- additionally, just the financial services sector broadly, um, there's always a lot of scrutiny, mm. and so I think a lot of investors are very cautious about taking any kind of risk because they don't want to be in the the crosshairs of regulators. And so I think that that's another area where you know the 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 investor is very cautious right now they're looking for more signs that they're going to be supported that it's going to be an open playing field and they're going to have room to play um and until that changes investors really are kind of sitting on the sideline waiting and seeing well you know when are things going to turn around because it doesn't matter what section of the economy they look at there there are some pretty big issues right now
0: it seems they may be waiting a long time then because what what they're hoping to see what they're asking for Almost goes against the core philosophy of the the Chinese Communist Party and President Xi Jinping, doesn't it? Which is totally um, about sort of controlling all the elements of, of private enterprise. And yes, they can do what they like, but it's within fairly narrow uh, constraints. And it doesn't look like that that philosophy is going to change.
3: Yeah, I think I think you know when you talk to a lot of these people, the the, the sort of the answer is well, until the training wheels come off why bother because i'm doing a lot of work but it's very difficult to make money and i'm still going to be under a lot of scrutiny and you know i might as well go and grow potatoes or you know <laughs> just do mm. something else because yeah. it's it's, you know, it's, it's just too hard. So I, I think that's what, what they're struggling with right now.
0: So what is the priority for, for the Chinese government? It seems they've got a couple of big challenges, haven't they? One is, I presume, they've got to stop the economy from slipping into deflation. If that was to happen, that would be a disaster for, uh, for China.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, number one is always stability. And I think they, they probably feel that to some degree they've come through COVID and they've managed to keep things stable. They just really slowed things down quite a bit much more than maybe they were hoping for. So it's going forward, it's still how do they manage this debt burden they're dealing with? But at the same time, how do they do whatever they can to rebuild uh, the, the manufacturing sector specifically, I think, with all the deflationary pressure? And, and that could be a combination of, of domestic orders and also orders for export um you know orders for exports a little bit out of their control unless they are really willing to let the rim be weak quite a bit further than they have and i i don't think they're willing to do that and then domestically it goes back again to how do you invest in projects and how do you invest in getting consumers to spend and, and you know, both of those things are hard to do right now
0: and presumably they've also got to come up with a, a new funding model for the property sector
3: yeah, and that's gonna be an interesting one to watch. And I, I just don't know I really don't know what that's gonna look like, but right now they've I mean they basically that sector is, has been dried right up and that was always the the safe space, right, for, mm. for retail investors as far as where they were gonna put their money because there was this assumption that, that prices would always go up and now that people have seen that that is by no means guaranteed. You have this additional shock on consumers who are saying, well, now I have nowhere to put my money where I feel like I actually have a chance of coming out ahead. and So it it does create this overall sort of pall on confidence.
0: Very interesting time for the Chinese economy. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for taking us through that. That's Ben Carinder, who is Managing Director at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. Thank you very much for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves on my daily newsletter. Take a look at Peter peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our U.S. economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Woods. See you
3: tomorrow. Money Talk.